Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. We're now going to go live with today's show's new Storm Chaser Van Cam and reporter Ron McDonald. Ron? I'm proud to be joining the Today Show as part of the Storm Chaser Van Cam Mobile Studio. This vehicle was designed to get as close as possible to a tornado, particularly a sharknado. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and this is Gilbert and Frank's amazing colossal obsessions. We're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa, who ruined like about four more shows, didn't he? (laughs) (laughs) No, you started that rumor, which is untrue. Now, we have someone on who I've worked with before. And And he's uh, willing to admit it and talk uh, about it. (laughs) Yes. We worked together on the soon-to-be-released Sharknado 5. Ladies and gentlemen, meet Anthony C. Ferrante. Hey, guys. How you doing? Anthony. got it. Now, so you are related to uh, me and and Frank were talking about Ferrani and Teicher. I've been told that there is a relation there, which which makes sort of sense. Um, so I, you know, I I can play piano a little bit. So I guess there there you go. Uh, I've never really investigated how I'm related, but uh, but yeah, there Th- is uh, that there would is blow some my mind. Relation if the because this show is all about <laughs> show business history, and and in, in many cases, you know, the the connections, the strange connections. If the director of the Sharknado franchise was direct was related to Ferrante, yes, and Fer- yes. I, I that would cause me sleepless they nights. They used to be on the air like every minute. Back then, yeah, they did the lounge stuff. It was the lounge kind of you music bet. a little bit too, you right? Bet. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so to go from the lounge music, and then we actually, uh, Robbie Rist and I wrote the theme song for Sharknado, the Ballad of Sharknado. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's some lineage there, you know. So it's that pop culture kitsch stuff. So, 
We kind of oh, is, right is, Ro- is Robbie a friend, Cousin Oliver? Yeah, Cousin Oliver and I have a band called Quint, so we do a lot of the songs in the Sharknado movies. We love Robbie. We see him on Facebook all the time. I what I what I love about Sharknado is the uh, I get to travel um, <laughs> <laughs> to a green screen. Yes. <laughs> I did Sharknado four, and that was supposed to take place in Texas. I was in, I was riding a van a weather van through Texas. And and I said, oh, are we going to Texas? And they said, no, we're, we're going to be doing it in Central Park. Because, you know, if you've ever been in Central Park, you go, wow, how did I wind up in Texas? And now in Sharknado 5, my character is now in Africa. And, I, and, and Rio, and even I said, though we don't see the Rio thing. How will we do this? And they said... Well, we're planning on shooting in Central Park again. Because <laughs> in Africa, quite often, you'll see an old lady on a park bench feeding pigeons. So. You know, if, if we we didn't we ended up doing it on green screen because we didn't have time to get to Central Park this time. But <laughs> the, the area in Central Park, the big rock formation was like, you know, we took some photos like this could actually work as Africa. Um <laughs> But but that's compared to what we did in the fourth one. Where aside from Las Vegas, we shot most of the United States in a parking lot in Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, you know, but but the fifth one, we went abroad. We went to five different countries. So we actually, you didn't get to come with us, but we went to uh, Bulgaria, England, Italy, Japan, and Australia. So we we kind of. Uh, Basically upgraded from parking. See, they're they're traveling, Gilbert. You're not yeah. traveling. But don't feel bad for me. I I got to see Central Park. <laughs> <laughs> well, give our listeners some context too. What's what's your character? Oh, okay. Is it the I'm, same character in four yes, and five? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, I'm Ron McDonald, investigative reporter, action reporter, and uh, yeah, and and I think to show the care. That's put into Sharknado movies. <laughs> uh, in the first one, they filmed me in a cow-nado. It was a bunch of cows. Oh, cows, and, a cow-nado. And, and I got, they all fell on me and I died. And I heard if you see one version of it, if you rent it, I die in the cow-nado. If you see it on TV, I don't. Yeah, actually, what happened that was is we we ran out of visual effects shots uh, because the, it takes you know we have like um, two months to do like a thousand shots usually, and we had a, a, a sort of a coda where a shark or a cow slammed into you in front of the van. <clears throat> it didn't make it into the uh, sci-fi cut, but when we get to do the DVD version, which I call the the slightly better version, we're able to kind of put. Uh, extra things in because we never really fit you know we we're, we're finishing things up to the wire so it gives us a chance to kind of finesse for dvd and uh they did an extra shot because i love the idea of you getting smashed by a cow but you didn't die you just broke an arm no, yes I mean, it still I'm, works i'm in yes i'm in the next sharknado in a little arm cast around my wrist <laughs> because that's what happens if you're in a cownado. Well, now that you're bringing up the exactly. next one, we'll we'll uh, we'll plug it. Sharknado 5 Global Swarming. And Anthony, when does it premiere? It premieres August 6th this coming Sunday on Sci-Fi. Um I believe it's like 8 or 9 o'clock one of those times. Okay, so 2 uh, days so, from now. Cuz this this will be on yes. Thursday. Great. Yeah. It's it's Sci-Fi Super Bowl. If people get together, have parties. I know, it's a cultural phenomenon. Live to us. Now, is there certain things with Sharknado where 
they take a, a drag on a reefer or uh, take a shot? <laughs> um, I, I always tell people this. I think uh, the thing is, is I can safely say that uh, the, the creation and the writing and the making of Sharknadoes are not made under the influence of under any kind of drugs or alcohol, which should scare people even yes. more. But, but you have called it uh, one of the great stoner movies. Of all time. Well, yeah. What, what, well, yeah. When we were when we were watching the first cut of the uh, like the finished cut of the mo- first movie before it aired, I watched it and said, you know, this is maybe in five years it's going to be a cult movie, and we probably made the greatest stoner movie ever, and uh, you know, unintentionally. And and of course, I think both of those came true pretty quickly. Uh, it wasn't five years; it was kind of instantaneous. Uh-huh. And stoners across the world are are just embracing it. We do. We actually do have a uh, pot nato in this movie. So. <laughs> And, and I love when people ask me, they say, well, do you get killed in the movie? And I said, it really doesn't make a difference in the movies. That's using logic that if someone's killed, <laughs> that it's over with them. It, it's like in the Sharknado movies, you watch someone get killed and two scenes later, they're walking around. Or they're, or they're chainsawing their way out of a shark. Yes. But, but, but. We do kill people in this movie for good in in the new movie. We we actually uh, we actually get pretty dark. It becomes Empire Strikes Back in this movie. <laughs> oh, I like that. T- tell us, give our listeners some some history, uh, Anthony. Tell us how you first got involved in the in the franchise. Is it true that you and your partner were, were spitballing titles? Yeah, uh, Jacob Hare and I, uh, I occasionally um, occasionally write with him. Um, he's a really amazing guy, a really amazing animator, and. Um, I was doing a lot of horror movies for sci-fi, and so they always would want to hear, come up with the ghost title, come up with the you know the leprechaun and leprechaun's revenge, leprechaun's revenge. There you go, and that's which is the first uh, Sharknado sighting. And so uh, you know we're throwing lava birds, and then uh, Jake goes Sharknado, and we love that title so much, and we kept trying to figure out what to do with it. We pitched it to one of the companies that do, does pitching to sci-fi which I think didn't uh, pitch it to them as Sharknado, but as like Sharkstorm or something. And so in the Leprechaun script, I wrote a reference to a Sharknado because they were trying to cover up the Leprechauns. And, and uh, it said something like, you know, we don't want to have what happened in that town over. Remember Sharknado? They never lived that down. And Sci-Fi saw that name and they're going, we must make this movie. And that's kind of the evolution. Jake and I always knew what a great title it was. And when we were shooting... Um, the the first movie, no one wanted to be in a movie called Sharknado, <laughs> so they called it Dark Skies. Oh, and uh, and, and, and so we we always kind of knew it was going to be called Sharknado. And the third day of shooting, we were shooting in the uh, hardware store, and all my cast like cornered me and said, "Come here, come here!" And it was like I always say, it was like reminded me of Frankenstein, you know, with the pitchforks and the fire. And they're going, "We heard this movie might be called Sharknado." It's like. Well, they might call it that, or they might call it something else. No, they didn't. They got to call it Great Red Skies. They got to do this. You got to make sure that they don't call this. And apparently, Tara and Ian were freaked out. I think Ian says that you know he got onto his agent saying, uh, "You got to get me out of this thing." But I remember telling them specifically. I told them, if it's called Sharknado, it will be a good thing. I because we knew the title had magic. And, you know, that was one thing I was sort of right about. But they they were freaked out about it. But the, the cool thing is that they didn't let it affect their performance. I mean, Ian Ziering chainsaw his way out of a shark, birthing <laughs> himself out of the yep. shark. And he did that with gusto. And and he there was no, like, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it half-ass. He gave 100%. So did Tara. Everybody gave a crap on that movie uh, to kind of, they embraced the cheese with it, but they all the characters play it straight, which is what 
the magic of the movie is. It's kind of like Airplane. If you, everybody's in on the joke and plays it up as camp, sure. it's not as funny as if you're playing it straight. So the silliness comes from the event, which is the Sharknado, everything, and the circumstances. Everything else is they're, they're in a movie about lava or they're in a movie about an earthquake. Well, we've talked about that on this show, how originally the studio wanted them to put comedians in Airplane. And the Zuckers were saying, no, you need Lloyd Bridges. You need uh, Leslie Nielsen. You need straight-faced actors. And, and the funny thing is, is with Leslie Nielsen, in those first couple of, like, Airplane and Naked Gun, he was hysterical because he was playing it straight. Poker-faced, yeah. And then later yeah. on, I think he started to say, hey, I'm pretty funny. And then he started acting goofy <laughs> in, the, in these yeah. movies. Well, one of the things, too, I want to give a shout-out to, to John Hurd. John Hurd was the first person we cast in the first Sharknado movie, and he, he passed yeah, away. Yeah, we were just going to ask ago, you about him. Just d- destroyed us. Um, but he he kind of got it. And I remember him telling me, uh, like, on the last day of shooting, he's like, I don't know what the heck you're doing, but I think there's some sort of method to your madness. And, I think, you know, I, I think this is going to be really cool. And the thing with John is John uh, basically gives a little of the comic relief in – Sharknado, but he plays it straight. And having him there gave us a lot of credibility, and that got us to Ian and Tara and everybody after that. But I recently watched the movie, and he's just so good in the film. And you know, we kind of improved a little bit, and he did he did all this amazing stuff. And uh, you know, when we heard we were at Comic Con and we heard about it, it was just heartbreaking because he was just he supported it from the beginning. He was the one guy that was on board, uh, and. And such a great actor. And I remember hanging out with Comic-Con the first year that Sharknado broke. We hung out with him. And it was just, you know, it was cool. A great guy, great actor. And, you know, it's just it's sad to, to see see that that amazing talent not here anymore. Yeah, underrated actor, really. And, and good yeah. in comedies. I mean, if you think of, uh, I think of Scorsese's After Hours. Oh, yeah. yeah. And because and in Cutter's, Cutter's Way. Way, and, uh, sure. Shirley That's another winner. great one. And, but but you look at all the movies that he just he was in big and he just was in everything cat people yeah, that's for, right for yeah. as weird cat as that movie was Paul Schrader he's great in that movie yeah uh, what, very what, underrated and and what I remember about cat people is Nastasia Kinski and Annette O'Toole both being naked in it yes as you <laughs> pointed out to Michael McKean yes, when he was here about yes. his wife. <laughs> 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 well, I I wanted to pay her a compliment. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now back to the show. His death scene, too, John Hurd in the first Sharknado. Very funny. Yeah, yeah you know, you know the what, one of the things, uh, you know, we were trying to come up with weapons and stuff, and uh, when we were working on the script... Um, the idea of the the bar stool being his weapon, I, I, you know, the thing is, I always knew that there, the movie needed to go a little further and be a little uh, odd. So uh, in the script, I buried the idea that because it makes sense, he would not leave his bar stool if the whole thing was going to uh, collapse. So I buried the idea that the bar stool was being taken with him. So it was sort of there, but we never drew attention to it because I knew I was going to have him use it as a weapon and carry it around most of the movie. And I knew the producers might go, what are you doing? This makes no sense. But I knew it would work. Right. 
And uh, and he had just went. Uh, John had just went through an operation at that time. I, I might might have been like a, a heart operation or something. And that bar stool was heavy. And um, you know he never complained once. And you know I you know if he said I don't want to carry this, we wouldn't have had him carry it. But he wanted to. He was in it. But that thing was I. I it was hard for me to lift up. And this man who had, had been through an operation, like I'm doing it. And it's like, he's, he is, he is the true action hero of that thing. Cause that bar stool was, uh, I think one of the funniest bits in the film, you know, he's just not going to let it go. Terrific and, actor. And did Iron Zeering have any idea what a second career he would have? I don't think anybody knew that it was going to blow up like it did. Like I said, we kind of all like, you know, we knew the title was special and, we knew we made something that was kind of unique, you know, for what it was, you know, put together with, you know, chewing gum and duct tape. And, you know, we just made this crazy movie that could have destroyed everybody's careers <laughs> and didn't. Uh, but um, but but I, I think that, you know, they, they you know, if you, they, I think they kind of did it and they just thought it was just going to be another movie, both her, him and Tyra that was going to come and go. And then that night it blew up and everybody found us. I mean, it's one of those rare instances where there was no marketing. It was all the stuff that we did grassroots. You know, we put out the trailer early. We did a music video. We did, we started a Facebook page that I, myself and a couple other people just kind of posted stuff on. And then um, I remember my, one of my editors uh, from a previous film, Chris Conley, he, he called me up like two days before uh, the movie airs going, you know, I was in 7-Eleven and uh, pe- people were talking about Sharknado. I'm like, yeah, right. Because, you know, I've written and directed a bunch of these movies where, you know, they come out, they have their little audience and then they go away. It's like, why would someone in 7-Eleven be talking about Sharknado? And I was I was wrong about that. I, he was accurate. And then that night, it just it was a it was a tweeter storm. You know, it was it was just bizarre to see. You know, we were going to do live commentary, and I thought I was going to get, hey, you suck, Ferrante, and all this other <laughs> stuff. And, and suddenly people are just having fun, and you couldn't keep up with the tweets, like Mia Farrow oh, yeah. and Damon Lindelof and Judah Freeland. It was like, Patton it was Oswald. just insane. Patton Oswalt. Yeah. So, you you know, I don't know what it was. I think, you know, everybody keeps Monday morning quarterbacking about what it might have been. I think it was the trailer looked like um, basically something uh, that looked like a studio movie that, there's there, there's no way it could live up to it, so I think they're going. We got to see this because this looks insane and crazy. And then they saw it, and it was wall to wall action for a low budget movie. Sure. And um, it was the title, and it was free, and it was a summer where pretty much all the movies that came out were kind of depressing and dark. And it's also kind of strangely family values wholesome, so kids could watch it even though people's limbs are being ripped off. Um, but Robbie, Rob, but go back to Robbie Riss. Robbie also knew that it that, that it had potential, and. Um, and he t- when he saw a rough cut of the movie, he said, it's a movie that doesn't know it can't do that. <laughs> and that's great. I, I, I live and stand by that with the whole phenomena is that it continues to prove it's a movie that doesn't know it can't do that, both from the way the phenomena broke and then just how we pull these movies off each time. And we don't we don't have like two years and one hundred million dollars. You know, we're still kind of, you know, a tiny little movie that somehow you know, we we find a way to go shoot in these different countries. You know, we we go there and we're you know we're figuring it out as we go along. It's not like you ha- we had like a crew, a, kind of an ongoing crew of about maybe six people that traveled to all the countries and then our cast, and so and then we would pick up production services places in those countries and we just we just went and had fun. It's like a party. It's hard work, but you know, six months and we have a movie finished like this. I think timing <laughs> timing is certainly part of it, as you, as you say, but also. It's rewarding to people who are pop culture uh, aficionados like we are, and and Patton we know is a movie buff. That you're watching something like this is very there's Twilight Zone references, 
you know, there's there's yep. the Baywatch opening. There's all kinds of there's a lot of movie dialogue. There's 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 stuff Wait. that's that's rewarding to to for people like us. I've I've always been a geek, and you a know, lot of inside uh, jokes. You know, a lot of inside jokes. Some of them that go completely over people's heads. Even in my first movie, Boo. Um, I love that movie, The Changeling, by uh, George. Oh, George we talked about that it. movie on this show. Sure. Yeah. So, so there is a little uh, the ball that rolls oh, yes. down the stairs appears in my movie, and the guy that played the kid in that movie, Voldy Way, was a friend of the producer. So we snuck him into the film, and he's being pulled away in this mental thing. And someone says, "Time to take your bath, Carmichael." So that it's like so That's buried, great. you know, five people will get it. My my best uh, obscure reference was in Headless Horseman, my second movie. And uh, it was so. It's about a it's a headless horse movie. So in the convenience store, there is a uh, um, art department um, poster uh, that's uh, Roland's Thompson gum sold. A here. Warren Zevon reference. There you go. Bless your so, heart. Because yeah, he has <laughs> Roland. Ro, yeah, Roland the headless Thompson gunner. So that was my little nod to Warren, who I love. Oh. So so it's, so we always put stuff in, and then first movie was kind of jazzy, you know. So we had sure. the little Jaws references and stuff. But then in the second movie, I really wanted to do that kind of homage to uh, the Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, the Twilight Zone episode. And when we were getting ready to shoot it, I, I, my wife and my daughter and I were watching Airplane. And I, we, she says, we got to get Robert Hayes. So I called the producer saying, we must get Robert Hayes to play the pilot. And he's going, no, because then, you know, you're going to do airplane references. And then with my fingers crossed, I'm going, I promise we will never do an airplane reference if, he, if we cast him. And they go, OK, OK. And, of course, we did airplane references. And that kind of was the beginning of where we were able to kind of do things like that in Sharknado, where it kind of the tide shifted and we were kind of making more little references to things. Um, even the taxi, you know, we had Judd. Yeah, Hirsch I was going to bring that up driver. too. <laughs> yeah, and and then the, if you look at the cab company, it's the Bickle Cab Company. So oh, a taxi you know, driver just, reference. <laughs> yeah, but that's 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 catnip for guys like Gilbert and me. Oh yeah, we Tra- love that. We love Travis that stuff. Bickle. Yeah, we love that yeah. stuff. I mean, and I'm, I'm I'm saying when you get Damon Lindelof and 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 Patton and and Olivia Wilde and people like that are tweeting about it, and I think part of that is people are 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 jazzed by the fun of that. I mean, it's it it's yeah. a movie on one level, but it's a it's a parlor game too. There's a lot going on. And it's stuff, too, that we, you know, we're not sitting there going, hey, look, telegraphing, look at this, look at this, look at this. It's like, for me, it's stuff that as, as a geek, I put in for myself and the handful of other people. I had to, had to fight to get Christine in the fourth movie. I had to, It was one of those things where they said, you can have this or you can have Christine. And I'm like, uh, the car from, you know. The sure. I go, okay, well, uh, I, I'll, I'll take Christine any day. And then in the fifth movie, uh, let's see if you get this. So. Uh, we're ba- we're shooting in London, and we had a the opening is uh, at Stonehenge, um, and so uh, we have a reference to Silver Shamrock, and so our our ti- our working title when we were doing it to throw people off of Sharknado was that we were called Silver Shamrock. So name, do you know uh, the pop culture reference to Silver Shamrock? Oh, I, is that the Halloween? Ooh, yeah. Gilbert nice work, Gilbert. Three <laughs> more days to Halloween, Halloween, yep. <laughs> Halloween. You pulled that Three out. more days to Halloween, Silver, Silver Shamrock. Silver Shamrock. Yep, there that you was, go. And so, uh, so Halloween is... 3, and I forget that actor. Season of the Witch. Was it Tom Atkins? Uh, he was, Tom Atkins. He was yeah. the handsome the lead. But who is the villain? Uh, Dan O'Hurlihy. Dan O'Hurlihy. Dan oh, yes, yes, yes. From Dan Twin o- Peaks. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So 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 there there in in the in the Stonehenge cave, you'll see a little silver shamrock thing and a melted uh, skeleton mask. 
So it's 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 a blink if you miss it, but it's one of those little little Easter eggs. You know what my there. favorite part of Halloween three was? Uh Dan O'Hurley has Stonehenge in his place. <laughs> he has it there. Yes. And yes. and his only explanation, the only thing the writers could come up with for him to say <laughs> on how he was able to moon, move Stonehenge to his uh, to his room is we had quite a time getting it over. <laughs> Good gag. Yeah, so it's but, like but okay. He- <laughs> But you know the weird part is I don't know if you've been to Stonehenge. We we went to Stonehenge and we actually kind of uh, stole a location and shot a few shots there when we weren't supposed to. Uh, but uh, it's Stonehenge is small. Yes, I always thought I was Stonehenge there. is this mo- yeah. It's huge, and I'm thinking, oh my god! And you get there, and it's like I could like walk, take two steps and I'm there, and I could probably lift up one of the rocks. So I always thought it was kind of weird in Halloween three, but now I kind of buy. Yeah, they, you could probably have taken a few of those rocks. Hey, we shot Sharknado there, and they didn't know we were doing it. So I mean, <laughs> sure, Daniel Hurley in a helicopter uh, stealing Stonehenge isn't that far. I was doing a job in London, and I really, I decided I got to go to Stonehenge, and and also I thought it would be this. It always. You get the impression it's enormous. And then, you know, you see it and it's like, eh, some rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you, has have you heard from Carl Gottlieb about the all about all the Jaws stuff? You, you know, I, I ran into Carl Gottlieb, I think it was right after Sharknado One. Right. Uh, there was a screening for Jaws three D in uh in Hollywood and I went to go see it in I think I don't know if it was in 3D or not. Maybe it was or maybe it was. I can't remember. Uh, but uh, he was there, and so I went up and talked to him a little bit. And we actually t- tried to get him and um, uh, the director of, of of Jaws 3D, which his name is escaping me right now, Joe Alves. Yeah, Joe Alves, also right. Did the pr- That's I think right. he did the production design on First Jaws. And uh, so we were, we were going, oh, it'd be cool to kind of get sneak them into Sharknado 2 or 3. And it, it just it never worked Too out. Too bad, because he's a comedy writer in addition to writing Jaws. I think he would appreciate this. Yeah, it would have been it would have been a blast to, to kind of get him in there. But uh, uh, the actually the one thing that I think was really cool is uh, we were at we're at Universal Orlando for number th- for shooting number three. Uh, oh, oh hell no! And they had they didn't have the ride, which bummed us because they had recently gotten rid of the the Jaws attacking thing. But they still had the Jaws dangling in one of the little piers there. And so we wanted to do a gag with that Jaws thing. We I guess we had to go and get permission. From Amblin, which is basically sure. Spielberg's company, and I probably probably Spielberg had to sign off on it. Uh, I mean, it helps that Sci-Fi is part of NBC, which is part of Universal. But Amblin signed off on it, which to me is like, okay, that's the closest that I'll, I'll be able to kind of you know touch uh, Spielberg's uh, garment. You know that they they're aware of Sharknado and they're okay if we're that's kind very of cool. a little and nod to have it. Have you ever used or tried to get Richard Dreyfus? Richard Dreyfuss was on the list for, I think, uh, the second or third movie, and it never worked out. Uh, I think they reached out to him. Sometimes people want to be in the movies, and sometimes they don't, or sometimes it's scheduling. As you know, a lot of times it's like, hey, Gilbert, we want you in the movie. Are you available tomorrow at yes. 4? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how and you approach suddenly him? the night before we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're writing dialogue. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that stuff you got was written the night before. So, yeah, and, and luckily I wasn't doing the... Chuckle Barn in Indianapolis. And- <laughs> <laughs> You've also had some of our podcast guests, uh, Anthony Paul Schaefer, uh, Pen, Pen yes. Gillette, and Gary Busey. 
So there's, yeah, uh, there's three of our so peeps. Pa- pa- Paul Paul Schaefer was 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 amazing when they told us we were going to do Paul Schaefer. Like, oh, we got to get Paul to do uh, we got to get Paul to do one of our songs. He he, he played basically an out of work performer because he wasn't on Letterman anymore. <laughs> and we had written a New York song for number two, and to have to teach Paul Schaefer how to do the song that we wrote was kind of like I mean I was always a big fan of Letterman and him, yeah, us and, too. you know, even back as far back as Saturday Night Live. So that was like this this was super cool, and then. Uh, uh, he was Gary Busey and who's the other one? Sorry, oh Pendulette, Gary Busey and oh Penja and Pendulette was really fun. Uh, he came on. Um, that was a really quick scene. Uh, but uh, but Gary Busey was <laughs> the Gary Busey was was very very interesting. Uh, <laughs> probably the pro- probably probably the most surreal moment. I, I, and I, it, it, it on on any of the Sharknado movies we were rehearsing the the scene with it. So it's him, Tara Reed. David Hasselhoff, and uh, and then Ryan Newman, who played the daughter. And so we cleared everybody out of the room and we're rehearsing this. And so, you know, the movie's weird and there's stuff like quantum boxes and weird dialogue and stuff. And and Gary's like, so, so I don't understand. Okay, there's a sharks and a tornado. And like, so we're trying to explain to him what it is. And then they start rehearsing and he starts asking David Hasselhoff a little bit about like, well, what the quantum box does, I don't understand. And so Ryan and I, there's nobody in the room but Ryan and I and we uh, and the other three. And Ryan and I kind of just step back and just watch this conversation happen between Gary and David <laughs> Hasselhoff. And David Hasselhoff trying to explain to Gary Busey what's going on. And then Tara Reid kind of being the mediator between the two of trying to kind of get it back around to like, let's focus this. And Ryan and I were just trying not to laugh because it was just, it was insane. Because you're starting to listen to the logic that they're trying to put into this. And it's like, well, it's Sharknado. We have sharks and tornado, and you're trying to put logic to and, it. And the but idea it was one of those moments. Gary Busey putting logic <laughs> into it. <laughs> I just don't understand what's 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 a quantum box, and it's like just say the line, please. <laughs> How we basically dealt with it because it, he was just getting bogged down into it. I I turned to Gary. I said because we were running. You know, we have 12 hours to shoot these movies, <laughs> and we have no time to do these scenes. And, you know, this was probably like the sixth or seventh scene, a different location in that place we were shooting, and we had to get going. And so I turned to Gary, and I go, Gary, I got an idea. I'm going to turn the camera on you, and I'm just going to let you improv for the next 10 minutes. And he's going, that's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) And so we did two takes, two 10-minute takes of him just like going off the rails, kind of sort of hitting the beats and stuff. And it was brilliant in, in how insane it was. And then I, then we basically got him out of the room. We did a reverse, and I, I did the close-ups on the other actors, and we kind of picked it up and picked the pieces up. And, and in the movie, it makes sense, and it works. It is funny. And uh, we did, I think it's on the deleted scenes, we put, like, the full version of his rant into the, oh, into I've the deleted see that. scenes on the— it, it's insane. It, it was, ab- but that was the way we did it, and and it worked. <laughs> I'm looking at some of these guest stars, and I mean, it's 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 kind of like how we put this podcast together. <laughs> these are, these are our people of choice: Charo, uh, Bo Derek, Wayne Newton, Susan Anton, <laughs> Lou Ferrigno. Well, you know, in 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 in, uh, in Sharknado Five, Charo plays the Queen of England because <laughs> of, of course it's Sharknado, <laughs> and Fabio plays the Pope. So, <laughs> and he speaks Italian. It's amazing. Perfect. Were, were there any complaints about Fabio being the Pope? 
I don't know. It was, you know, we the whole Fabio thing happened. We were in Italy, and I'm, I'm, I literally it was the day before we were about to shoot, and I'm like, why don't we have the Pope in this movie? So I called the producers, going, we need a Pope. We need to film the Pope because it doesn't make any sense with this other thing. The Pope needs to be there, meets Finn, and gives him something important. And they're going, well, I don't know if we buy that. It's like, well, okay, what do we need to do? And so we went back and forth for 20 minutes. They're going, okay, that works. And so they had to find a Pope costume that night. They found a Pope costume. We didn't have Fabio at the time. We didn't know who was going to play it. So we had a small crew. So I ended up playing the Pope for these scenes. So I'm basically Fabio's double in a weird, bizarre world where Fabio doubles other people. I'm doubling Fabio because we didn't know it was going to be him. So we left it so the reverses would be shot in L.A. And then they call and say Fabio's going to be the Pope. And so that's how the, the Pope thing happened. So, yes, uh, uh, you know, and in addition to the fact that uh, Tara and Ian had to kiss my hand as the Pope. So I think that was kind of fun. <laughs> how, how did you approach Olivia Newton, John? You don't you don't see her Olivia, doing much these days. I don't think she's done a movie. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think in like probably 15 years, gotta maybe, be, maybe gotta a little be. longer. And, and and she was on our list as far back as three. And um, uh, one of our line producers, uh, Dylan Vox and Scotty Mullen, our, our casting director and the writer on this one, have been courting her for for a very long time and it worked out for this movie and it was so that was another one of those things that was just really cool to have her on set she she was there with her daughter Chloe mm-hmm. they play these kind of kooky scientists scientists that kind of uh help Tara read a little bit her character in the movie and uh she Olivia was up for anything i mean she and she's just so good nice to hear. she has such great timing uh, we we actually uh, there there the sequence uh, with Tara we uh, wrote a song in honor of Olivia Newton John called Brand New You that was kind of has that sort of Xanadu early '80s vibe so uh, you know we just loved her presence and she uh, she actually gave Scotty and I these shark tooth necklaces it was a really nice gift uh, so it's like that that meant a lot to me as well it was really really sweet. would you like to use this moment to point out that Olivia Newton John was a Jew yes is a Jew? I, you you. <laughs> I was, do you, you see, uh, Frank knows exactly how I I'm reading think. your thoughts. We've done While so many of these. While you were talking about Olivia Newton-John, I, <laughs> I was saying, I got to jump in and say that Olivia Newton-John is a Jew. <laughs> there you go. And she had these, like, I think her parents, well, like her father and uncle were these, like, uh, big intellectual I Jews. think her uncle was a famous scientist. Yeah. Mills Bohr or something. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have to look that and, Well, that, that makes sense that. that she's a scientist And Olivia Newton-John always looked like such a goyim, but Jew. <laughs> <laughs> this is something I wanted to ask, ask you, Anthony. Maybe, the, maybe the, the answer is obvious. Once you guys set on the title of Sharknado, you knew you were in love with that title. How did you get was was it a long journey to this idea that that during storm sharks could get swept up and and they said okay these two things work together it was you know a lot of stuff it's just like you know you you combine two things and then uh you know they they were developing the script and um it just was it just was a natural progression of what it right. was it was always but you didn't like, think of that you before you thought of sharknado tournament. though you just you locked in on the title and then it was a bit of serendipity well no we know what it was it was it, it, it we it, uh, the the two images i think that we locked on is that there's sharks in a tornado 
and a chainsaw needs to be involved. I think uh, <laughs> Jake did an early drawing with a guy in one of those du- the bell the the diving bell yeah. thing with, holding a chainsaw. Even before even before Ian even was involved or anything. I mean, that was just something some uh, silly concept art that uh, was cr- he created before any of this happened. And uh, so yeah, no, I mean there 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 was this thing that we knew there was something special, and we you know we were talking about it even before it was greenlit of like oh you know it'd be cool if this and that and. And then this all happened. So yeah, it was. It, there was there was just a lot of. Uh, it was kind of funny too that the script and the Thunder Road ended up having a chainsaw in it because we were thinking along the same lines. Did well. you hear from somebody who said that this had, this had happened? <laughs> that that, 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 uh, that sharks well, and, uh, wait, were sucked up in a storm and landed in somebody's backyard. It, I think in Perth or in, something. It, there, 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 look, there, 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 here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay, so you want to know the scary part of Sharknado? We, we are, are, uh, are, are the, are the, we are the crystal ball for what, what will happen because every time you go, this is ridiculous. This stuff doesn't happen. Things happen. And uh, one of the, one of the big ones that I remember is we've shot in Orlando, uh, the, the third movie, and two months after we left, a. Uh, I don't know how this is possible. A uh, a diesel truck full of sharks overturned on the freeway. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we left we left Australia and then suddenly sharks were bringing down in some place like earlier this year. There was like sharks dropping dropping down in some places. So and then the the scariest one of all. Uh, so in number three, oh hell no. Uh, we originally re- approached Donald Trump to play the president of the United States, which was ultimately going to be played by uh, or ultimately played by uh, Mark Cuban. So, you know, we were this close to having the president of the United States be Donald Trump in Sharknado. And we basically wow. ended up with him as our Sharknado president in reality. Wow. So it's kind of kind of kind of interesting. So how bizarre. Uh, he. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was a timing thing. It literally was they didn't get back to us in time, and we had to start shooting, and uh, suddenly they cast somebody else, and it was too late. But they were interested in doing it. So, I mean, it, I I think more people would have voted for him if he was running through the White House with a machine gun <laughs> taking down sharks. He, he would have won the popular vote at that point because it's like, hell, come on. <laughs> I want that guy running the country. So tell us again when this uh, when shark – what's the full title? Sharknado 5? Global Sharknado Five Global Swarming, uh, and it airs uh, August sixth, uh, which is this coming Sunday uh, on Sci-Fi. Uh, check your local listings because it it airs in weird time things. But I think it I think it's eight or nine o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time, and then uh, and, you know and then you know adjust. And from tell there. us the tagline. Uh, the tagline is "Make America Bait." Again. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now, yeah, we have a blast with this. We we could interview you for hours, uh, Anthony, just about the cast. And, yeah, and I know. It's bless crazy. your heart for putting these people. Uh, I mean, George R. R. Martin, Robert Klein. I mentioned uh, Lou Ferrigno, Susan Anton. When was the last time you heard oh that name? Oh my God! Yeah, gosh, Golden you know, Girl. You know, uh, the uh, uh, George R. R. Martin. George R. R. Martin. Was our, was yeah. So, was so top secret, like we got a call saying he wanted to be in it, and we had to go to New Mexico, and he owned a movie theater there. And we we filmed it there, and we were like under lock and key. No one knew he was in the movie until they watched the film. And then everybody on the internet was so pissed. It's like he's in Sharknado, and he's not writing the next Game of Thrones book. What the hell? So everybody was all mad at us because we took him away from writing the book. And and they were like, "Oh, this is cool." No, they were mad at that. And I <laughs> I just got I just got the melody in my head now. 
Uh, from Ferrani and Teicher. Uh-oh. It was ding, Uh-oh. ding, 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 ding. This is from Midnight Cowboy? Ding. Da, 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 da. All right, Anthony, yeah. that's your assignment, is find out for us how you are connected and related. I, I will do we that. So, I, will, I will look We need that. to know. So it's the director. We've been talking. This has been Gilbert and Frank's Amazing Colossal Obsessions. And we've been talking to the director of uh, of Sharknado 5. And what is that title again? Global Swarming. Global Swarming. <laughs> Global Swarming. Anthony C. Ferrante, who may or may not. Be related <laughs> to Ferrani and Teicher, and give our best to Robbie, who was who was Murray Slaughter's son on the uh, uh, excuse me Ted Baxter's uh, adopted son on the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Yeah, wrist. Yeah, yeah, you got you got to get him into you got to bring him on another show. He's fantastic. Yeah, I hear he's, he's a great you know, storyteller. The, the he he's amazing storyteller, and the thing is, is that he has actually been on the he's been a part of something pop culture every decade. Like you know, he was part of Brady Bunch, and then he was part of uh, Galactica '80, and then he was part of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, then uh, Doc McStuffins and and Sharknado. So he he where where pop culture uh, phenomena goes, uh, Robbie Robbie goes. But he's also an amazing musician. Yeah. He plays in fifty million bands in Los Angeles. That's what we hear. And, uh, like. He's he's like uh, he's Prince and Elvis Costello rolled into one. I mean, he just he's just a, an amazing guy. Robbie Wrist, write it down and and bless your heart for the Warren Zevon reference. My old neighbor, in yeah, the King's well, Road see, Apartments third, in Los Angeles. You're the third person that actually got the the reference. And I, one of my dream movies is I would really love to make the the Warren Zevon biopic because I just I love his story and. And the journey and that documentary on when he was going to pass away, yeah. uh, like he did the, you know, the last album he did, he knew he was dying of cancer. The Wind. And so they they followed him around, The Wind, great album. And you saw saw how, like, well, you know what, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out on my own terms. And that song, uh, Keep Me In Your Heart, yes. uh, one of the greatest lines in, in, the, in the history of songwriting is, my wheels keep turning, but I'm running out of steam. And that was the last song he recorded in his living room. And you can't not listen to that album and go, how, how often is an album written and performed by someone that knows that, that they're dying? Uh, it, it's just, and, it's, and it's, it has this same uh, uh, sense of humor yep, yep. and you know, all the uh, artists that came to support him. I mean, anybody that uh, hasn't, uh, doesn't know much about Zevon, they should go find that uh, documentary, but also buy that album and listen to the lyrics. It's, it's cathartic yes. and it's, it's beautiful. It's a, it, he was it's a, such an amazing tunesmith. It's a VH1 documentary, as, as, I, I think. As I recall, it, yeah. was a, it was a make yeah, a making a of. I was I was living in his building at the time, so I actually got to see some of those people come and go. That was that was oh, shot wow. in the King's Road Apartments yeah, he, in West Hollywood, where where uh, where he recorded. He was at, at one point too ill to travel, and that's where they recorded a, a, a lot of that record. And I got to see those people coming and going, and them shooting some of it. Well, but he was a the, great great artist for so many reasons. The the Letterman interview, you know, what, again another quote that he said is like, "What have you learned about that?" You know, he's interviewing him, knowing this is the last time he's going to yep. see him. He devoted a whole episode to him, and he used to fill in for Paul sure. Schaefer, uh, Warren Zevon did on the show. And he goes, "You know, what have you learned about all this?" And he goes, "You know, I learned to enjoy every sandwich." And it's like it's a good mantra for people to under to to, to take to heart. You know, enjoy everything. And I think that's 
you know, I mean, you know, I make movies because I enjoy it. And, you know, we just go and do the best that we can and have fun. And I think that, you know, there was a lot of life in that man. And Yes, um, indeed. You know, he's left a lot. I, I was just listening to his Best Of album a couple weeks ago and just uh, uh, the um, uh, played all night yep, long. Yeah, that's from uh, the you know, Envoy. He, he somehow rhymed. Brucellosis. Br- 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 yeah. yeah. He's the only guy <laughs> that could use the word brucellosis. <laughs> Uh, brilliantly use it in a song. <laughs> All the cows have brucellosis. Uh, we'll get uh, by right. some. Oh, wrong album. That's from Bad Luck Streak and Dancing School. I misspoke. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, they're yeah. all great. And and that Letterman interview, that whole hour, you can find it on, I believe you can find it online. It's w- well worth seeing. Yeah, he, yeah. And it, buy any album that He man. was a like genius. Said, he just. Uh... So, once again, <laughs> this has been Gilbert and Frank's Amazing Colossal Obsessions. And we've been talking to Anthony C. Ferrante, who may or may not be related <laughs> to Ferrante and Teicher. And uh, what's the new movie and when's it airing again? Well, wait, wait, before before we do it, you, you should say it's a podcast NATO as you do in podcast the film. Right? It's a podcast podcast NATO! Anthony, thank you. This thank was a, this you. was funny. Congratulations. Thank you. August 6th, Sci-Fi. Thank you guys so much we'll for having me. We'll send our people really appreciate there. It. Take care, buddy. Thanks. Thanks, Gilbert. Thanks, Frank. Colossal Obsessions.